on the good, the bad, and the ugly, looking at the kings of uh, Israel and Judah. Okay. Got the signal off Josh to hold one second. Josh, keep an awful fit this morning, running back and forth to the computer and the sound desk. The international sign of pull the lead out and put it back in again. I used to love that when we'd call, when in work we'd call tech support. I've got a problem with the computer. Oh, I'll come and sort it out for you now. Great. After all of that training and all of that knowledge that they gain, what they tell you to do? Switch it off and switch it back on again. I was like, I could have done that. There was no need to call the help desk. Don't worry if you can't get it, Josh. There's no problem. Okay. So we're looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I had a really nice chart of where all the kings fit and who we've looked at so far. Watch last week's message, and we're just adding one more king onto the end of that list. Um, so uh, we've looked at many different kings. Uh, we've only looked at one good king so far. Um, out of all the kings we've looked at, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight kings we've looked at so far, only one of them has been good. As you know, in the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, which Jeroboam was the first king of, there were never any good kings, and there were no lasting dynasties. Um, In the southern kingdom of Judah, which Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was the first king of, there were only eight good kings out of about 19 uh, or 20 um, different kings. There were only eight that were good. So we've seen the kingdom split. We've seen Rehoboam and Jeroboam start their reigns together. During Jeroboam's reign of 22 years in the northern kingdom, Rehoboam, who was the king of second best, reigned for 17 years. And then Abijah, Abijam, the king of two names, uh, reigned for two years. And then Asa, the first good king, reigned for 41 years. During his reign... The northern kingdom of Israel went through an absolute period of turmoil and will continue to go through absolute turmoil until they're taken into captivity by the Assyrians. So Asa, the first good king of Israel, reigned for 41 years. During that time, it was Jeroboam's last two years of reign in the northern kingdom. Nadab, his son, reigned for two years. He was killed by Baasha, who reigned for 24 years. His son, who in a drunken stupor was killed by his servant Zimri. His servant Zimri only reigned for seven days. And then we're going to see today then, after Zimri's death, remember, uh, Zimri took his own life. Uh, After his death, Omri uh, comes to the throne. If I was to ask you this morning, how would you measure success? I'm sure that your measure of success would be different to the world's measure of success. We would often say from a worldly point of view, Noah's ministry was unsuccessful. After 120 years of preaching, eight people were saved. That's how many people went into the ark. 120 years he built the ark. 120 years he was a preacher of righteousness. And after 120 years of ministry, only eight people went onto that ark. And that was Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That was it. But the world would class that as a failure. 
That ministry didn't do very well. That ministry never took off. If we measured it in the amount of souls that were saved, then it was a complete failure. But in God's eyes, Noah did exactly what he wanted Noah to do. And in God's eyes, the ministry was an incredible success. When we look at the next king today, we're going to be looking at Omri. Omri is probably one of the best kings that the northern kingdom had. Why? Because of his successes. He had the longest lasting dynasty because his son reigned uh, and then two of his sons reigned. So he had the longest dynasty of the northern kingdom. He also had great uh, military victories. Uh, according to secular history, uh, Omri um, put a quash to Moab's rebellion against Israel. Omri even subdued the Assyrians to a certain point of view because they used to refer to the land of Israel as the land of Omri. Um, he was a successful king in the fact that he built an incredible fortress city in Samaria, taking um, the, the, the capital city from Tirzeb uh, up to Samaria. In fact, the city was so well built that the northern kingdom even became referred to as Samaria. I think it's 1 Kings 20 or 21 verse 1. It says that Ahab is referred to as the king of Samaria. So Omri was a successful king. So why then have I called him today Omri the king of failure? Omri, the king of failure. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 21. 1 Kings 16 verse 21 says, Then were the people of Israel divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people that followed Omri prevailed against the people that followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath, to Tibni. So Tibni died and Omni reigned. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, began Omri to reign over Israel. Twelve years, six years reigned he in Terzeph. And he bought the hill of Samaria of Shema for two talents of silver and built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shema, owner of the hill, Samaria. But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and he did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the acts of Omri which he did and the, his might that he showed, are, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, for this privilege to come around you a word. And Father... As we come to these kings of Israel, sometimes we can scratch our heads as to the monotony of the wickedness that we see. How easily uh, these kings are succumb to sinfulness in their lives and as a result lead their nation in the same direction. But Father, we can see from the scripture uh, the examples, examples that we need to follow and examples that we need to stay away from. And when we look at the wickedness in the world during biblical times, we can see much of that wickedness in our world today. But rather than getting disheartened and depressed and downcast, we can take great hope in the fact that you are still on the throne, that you are still in control, that you are still working all things together for good 
to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that maybe is looking at the world and uh, they look at it as a hopeless situation, then I pray that today they would come to that saving knowledge of Christ and recognize that our hope is not in this world, but our hope is in a Savior that gave his life for us upon the cross of Calvary so that we might have eternal life in heaven if we were to call upon his name and put our faith and trust in him for forgiveness of sins. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that as a result of looking at a wicked king, looking at an ugly king, looking at a bad king, looking at a king of failure, that we would be able to glean from your word and apply to our hearts and lives so that we might have a success in our lives that is valued by our Savior. Father, we just pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So let's look at Omri's successes. Um, he was successful in United. The uh, nation was divided. So not only is the nation divided north and south, Judah and Israel, but even in the northern kingdom, there's division. Uh, and remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. When Zimri dies, um, half of the nation wanted Tibni to be king, half wanted Omri to be king. Things are never straightforward in the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, it, it, when, when you read it, when you look at it, uh, when you look at the intrigue, when you look at the, the coups, when you look at the, the violence and the death and the uprising, things were never plain sailing. Remember what Ahijah said to Jeroboam? If, if you obey God's word, if you follow God's statutes, if you follow God's commands, you could have a kingdom like David's. And what did Jeroboam do? Squandered the word of God. He disobeyed the word of God, wanted nothing to do with the religious system that God had set up in Jerusalem, and he formed his own religious system, led the nation into a dark and desperate path that they never recovered from. How incredible that we do exactly the same thing today when God's word tells us to do something or not to do something. How dare we think that we know better? Ah, oh, yeah, well, that, that doesn't really apply to me. We reap what we sow. If we want to have success in our lives, then the best thing we can do is be obedient to the Lord's word. Samuel said the soul. You can offer all the sacrifices you want to offer. But if it's done with the wrong heart, the sacrifices mean nothing. Because it's better to obey the Lord than to sacrifice with the wrong heart and the wrong motives. You see, the problem we have today in church is people are serving God for the wrong motives. You know, a lot of times people will come to church, what can I get out of it? It's not what we can get out of church, but it's what we can give back to the Lord. I love coming to church. I get excited coming to church. You know, when we are away, we like to find another church to go to so I don't have to listen to me. But I like being in church. But do we want to be here? Do we want to give back to the Lord? You know, there is that division in our hearts. Because the flesh will still say, Ah, you don't want to be doing that. Ah, you could be doing something better today. Ah, oh, you've got so much on. 
But the Spirit is saying, hey, come on, we need to be... We need to be serving the Lord. We need to be in the Word. We need to be praying. We need to be in church. So there's that division in our hearts as well. And sometimes that's hard to conquer because the flesh is quite a powerful adversary. It's quite persuasive. Omri was successful in uniting a divided people. Um, little is known about Tibni of Ginnath. Um, apart from the fact that half the people followed him and wanted to make him king, um, the conflict continued uh, for quite some time, um, for about four years. And it says then in verse 22, the people that followed Omri prevailed against the people that followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath. So Tibni died and Omni reigned. Um, Josephus, the, the, the Jewish historian, tells us, uh, that Tibni was assassin- assassinated along with his brother um, Joram. But it's interesting that this phrase here um, at the end of verse 22, so Tibni died and Omni reigned. Um, it's incredible uh, that both Tibni and Omri actually live in all of us today. Can I say this? Nobody will ever be 100% satisfied with you. Um, let me ask you this question. How many of you have maybe um, looked at a person and maybe had a, a negative view of them? And, and maybe you've said to a friend or somebody else, oh, I don't like them because. And then they've said, well, I don't get that because I think they are wonderful because. You know, you can look at one person and you can see from two different opposite opposing views. Uh, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you could look at a, a preacher of the pulpit and think that man is, you know, is, is the best preacher on the planet and he's the one that you'll always listen to and he's awesome. But somebody else can look at him and think that guy is not qualified for the ministry because he's absolutely useless. Um, I, I've been in services like that where I've said to people, oh, I was dry, wasn't I? And they've said, oh, I thought that was wonderful. That was the best thing ever. People are always going to be divided about what they think of you. You know, when you tell people that you're a Christian, and when you say, to, you know, if, if you come to know the Lord, and you get all excited, you say, oh, I've come to know the Lord, I'm so excited. Don't be surprised when half of your friends and family go, you've joined the cult. You were crazy. You've ruined your life. Why are you throwing your life away? Whilst the other half of friends, family, brothers and sisters in the Lord, are all excited. Tibni and Omri uh, were a dividing factor. Um, Jay Packer um, uh, said, uh, said this, take a Christian minister, any minister in this great London, and see how public opinion is divided about him. To one set of men, he is the supreme human teacher. To another set of men, he is almost unfit to be in the pulpit at all. Take a statesman. To one class, he is the salvation of a kingdom. To another, he is empiric, a traitor, or in some degree, a political rascal. Take any friend in social life. To one man, he's an idol. To another, he is a bore. There are great moral lessons coming out of these simple facts. Society will always be divided. Tibni was so close to becoming king. He kind of had his hands on the crown. He was so close and yet so far away. Uh, Tibni was striving for the crown and it's as if 
sometimes we are striving for things and we are so close to attaining them and yet they feel so far away. It is in such men that Tibney lives in disappointed hearts. You know, when we set our sights on something that's not really obtainable, when we measure success on getting to that point, we're like Tibney, we can never quite reach it. It's like looking at the reflection of the moon in the pool and trying to grab the moon. That's when we get disappointed. You know, we set our expectations on things. That's the measure of success. And when we can't get there, we kind of fall apart. Omri still lives in those who turn great powers and great opportunities into dishonorable things, into unholy things. He got the throne, okay, but he didn't use it for God's glory. For 12 years, Omni, uh, Omri reigned. Um, six of them in Tirza and, and the rest in Samaria. Uh, when he uh, uh, emerged as the unrivaled king of the nation, the sixth king in 45 years from different families, he was successful in uniting a divided people, but he was still a failure. He was successful. Oh, I'm going to put the next point up then. He was successful in building a strong city. In verse 23, it says, In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, began Omri to reign over Israel. Twelve years, six years reigned he in Tirzeth. And he bought the hill of Samaria of Shema for two talents of silver and built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shema, owner of the hill, Samaria. At this point, Omri becomes the undisputed king in Israel. Um, his occupancy in Tirzeth ended uh, with the purchase of the hill of Samaria. If you remember, last week, Zimri burnt the palace to the ground with himself inside. So you can imagine the mess um, that the, 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 the capital city of Tirzeth was in. Uh, so Omri makes the decision to buy Samaria. He was attracted to it because of its strategic position. It was high upon the hill. It was central. It was strong. It was such a strong city that the only way it could be conquered was by being besieged. Um, besieged means that the armies would surround the city, they would cut off supplies into the city, they would stop anybody coming out, and they would literally starve the people out. And that's what happens in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. It came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for, sold for fourscore pieces of silver and a fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. That's a buffet you don't want to attend. So you can imagine how desperate people were when they're like, yeah, I'll pay five pieces of silver for, for a bit of dung. But it was besieged. What that means is, is the city couldn't be conquered by force, so they literally starved the people out. Um, it wasn't the impenetrable majesty of Jerusalem, but it wasn't far behind. In fact, that city stood until the northern kingdom was carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. Omri um, 
was successful in building this stronghold. It's incredible the type of things that we build in our lives. You know, we try and build our bank accounts up. We try and build our profile up on social media. We try and build our, not popularity, but our, our, we, we build up our face in front of our work colleagues so that we can get promoted. You know, there are many things that we build in this life. And to the world, they can be viewed as a success. But what we can neglect is building the real strongholds that we need in our lives. Like building upon the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, temperance, long-suffering, mercy. We, we tend to forget about the strongholds and we forget about building upon the foundation that the Lord has already planted our feet upon. But the things that we view as a success, that's kind of what we go after. Omri built a city that was a stronghold. Remember, um, when we looked on Father's Day at Abraham, Abraham wasn't looking for a city that was built with hands. Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. You know, we spend a whole host of time building our, our homes, building our, 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 our health, building our possessions, material wealth, whatever it is. And we focus so much on that that we can neglect the more important matters in our lives. There's nothing wrong with having a home. There's nothing wrong with bringing up a family. There's nothing wrong with having things. We've looked at that on a Sunday night, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is when that becomes our focus, when that becomes our be-all and end-all, and we neglect the spiritual matters in our lives. Samaria was the northern kingdom's crown and pride. Uh, as I said earlier, it, it became so much um, the northern kingdom's pride that the northern kingdom ended up becoming known as Samaria. Um, 1 Kings 21.1, it came to pass after these things that Naboth, uh, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Omri thought... Um, he was just buying a bit of land to build a city. But that city had lasting implications. What do we know about Samaria? What's the first thing that springs to mind when you think of Samaria? The woman at the well. Immediately springs to mind. But do you remember even the woman at the well said, mm, you know, you worship in that mountain and we worship in that mountain. So even though Omri was successful in building Samaria and building his stronghold, caused confusion further down the line. What we need to realize is that whatever we do in this life has implications further down the line. Every person we speak to, our conduct, our conversation has an impact on that person that could last the rest of their lives. If we have the opportunity to talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ and we don't take it, then that will have an impact on their life forever. If we react in the wrong way towards somebody, then we're building the wrong stronghold. 
You know, sometimes, and we, we talked about this again a couple of weeks ago, about a, you know, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Sometimes we want to be right. And it doesn't matter how ridiculous, petty, whatever it is, we, we, we might come in contact with somebody, but we want to be right. But that can destroy our testimony. I'm not talking about, you know, biblical, doctrinal, foundational things and just bending over and saying, yeah, you're okay, anything. I, I'm just talking about in general. And sometimes that just portrays us in such a bad light as believers because we're not meant to be bitter, we're not meant to be angry, we're not, we're not meant to be confrontational, judgmental, just ready to fight everybody. We're meant to show the love of Christ to a lost and dying world. There's plenty of hatred out there. There's plenty of wickedness out there. There's plenty of anti-Christian sentiment out there. And guess what? There was in Christ's day as well. But the Lord Jesus Christ still reacted in the right way. Even when the crowd mocked him and jeered him and made fun of him and were outright blasphemous towards him the Lord Jesus Christ still reacted in the same way. You know, sometimes we build on the wrong foundations. What's, what's the success? Being right and winning an argument, but losing that soul for eternity, or showing the love of Christ. And as a result, somebody coming into contact with a believer and they think, oh, right, they're not all hypocrites. They're not all super spiritual, judgmental people. This person actually cares about my soul. This person actually loves me. The new capital that Omri built marked a new era. But it just became a city of idolatry. It became a city where, again, anything goes. Um, it overlooked uh, the main commercial trade route. Uh, and it, again, was just a place where wealth flooded into the city. So he was successful in uniting a divided people. He was successful in building a city, but he was also successful in provoking God to anger. He was successful in continuing in his sinful life. But Omri, verse 25, wrote evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanity. He did worse. I mean, you're talking about some really bad kings up to this point. When we look at Saul, the kingdom was removed from Saul because of how bad he was. When we look at Jeroboam, everybody was compared to Jeroboam in a bad way. And it says that Omri did worse than everybody that came before him. He kind of took wickedness to a whole new level. You ever thought that in this world where you think just when things, you think things couldn't possibly get any worse. Things couldn't possibly get any more wicked. And then a new story comes on and you think, oh, yeah, they can. Omri was the epitome of wickedness and he, although he's only charged with walking in the way of Jeroboam um, Micah uh, has something else to say about him because in Micah chapter 6 and verse 16 
who started at Jonah singing the song. Yeah, me too. Jonah, Micah chapter 6 and verse 16. It says, For the statutes of Omri are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and ye walk in their counsels, I should make thee a desolation, and the inhabitants thereof are hissing. Therefore ye shall bear the reproach of my people. So Micah uh, refers to Omri in a negative sense, that he wasn't just walking after the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He had his own statutes that were so bad that the nation of Israel is going to be made desolate. Omri was worse. He provoked God to anger. Let me ask you this question. Does God still get angry today? Now we say, oh, God's a God of love. You know, when, when, we get, when, when people get to heaven, lost or saved, you know, God is so lovely, he's going to kind of say, oh, yeah, well, it's okay, you're here now, and we kind of have a look at your good deeds and your bad deeds. And the world has got a skewed view of God. God is a consuming fire. God is perfect in his judgments, and God still gets angry today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, um, I can't remember if it's, if it's Malachi or Micah. It says, I am the Lord, I change not. So he doesn't change. So he still gets angry today. What makes God angry today? Do you, did you know that our unbelief makes God angry? Psalm 78, 21 says, Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Unbelief makes God angry. You know, we kind of understand um, when somebody's an atheist or somebody who doesn't go to church might not believe and maybe it's because they've never been shown or whatever it might be. But do we provoke God to anger because of our unbelief? You know, what are the disciples say? Help thou Lord my unbelief. Because, you know, there are certain things we look at the Bible and think, oh, did that really happen? Is that really true? Did that really take place? And when we start questioning the Lord in those areas, according to Psalms, that makes God angry. So do we still provoke God to anger? Our disobedience provokes God to anger. You know, as parents, we, we kind of get frustrated when our kids don't listen no matter how old they are. I wasn't referring to you, I was talking about my father. <laughs> you know, we, we still get frustrated when, when our kids don't listen and, you know, we ask them to do something and they get to a certain age then where they'll do anything for you and then they get to a certain age where just by breathing you get on their nerves. Because they know everything. You've got to love teenagers. But then they come through that, thankfully, eventually, by the time they're 30. <laughs> but if we get frustrated when our kids don't listen, when we get frustrated when our kids don't do what we've asked them to do, how much more does our disobedience frustrate our Heavenly Father? 
Joshua 7, 11, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it among even their own stuff. God was angry because of Achan's disobedience. Don't do something. When God tells us not to do something and we do it, guess what? He's going to get angry with us. When we don't follow the Lord's directions, when we don't follow the Lord's will, these things still anger the Lord. Um, it was late one night, and uh, we were, I can't even remember where we were going, we were, we were headed to a hotel, and I was going in the wrong direction. Joe kept telling me, stop, ask for directions, turn around, and I was like, no, we're all right, we just, and this, I get this from my father, because my dad is like, as long as you, as long as you, like, give off this air of confidence, I know where I'm going. As long as I head in this direction, eventually the road will bring us around. Can I say this to you? It doesn't matter how fast you're going in the wrong direction, you're still going in the wrong direction. You just get lost quicker. It's not until I listened to that incessant nagging, and I said, fine, we'll do you away then. Always not a good thing when their way turns out to be right. I get full quickly with humble pie. It does not fill you up. But it's not until you come back to the point where you started going wrong. But then you can begin to head in the right direction. You know, maybe we've not where we should be in our walk with the Lord. And maybe we just think, well, as long as I keep heading in this direction, I'll be fine. No. Put things right. Repent. Make a turn. Get back to where you started going wrong. You know, maybe that point is you started going wrong when you stepped out of church. But the step back to church was when you started going back in the right direction again. Maybe you started going wrong when you gave up your Bible reading. Maybe you started going wrong when you began hanging around with the wrong people because they had the wrong influence on you. Maybe you started going wrong because this particular sin that you started getting involved with began to take you further and further and further away from the Lord. Don't go faster in that direction hoping that at some point things will turn around. Come back to where you started going wrong and then go in the right direction. Don't provoke the Lord to anger. Omri was successful in provoking God to anger. And finally, he was successful in the legacy that he left behind. I'll explain now. Now the rest of the acts of Omri which he did and his might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab... His son reigned in his stead. Omri was a successful king. He was successful in uniting a divided nation. He was successful in building a strong city. He was successful in provoking God to anger. But all the writer says about him is the rest of the acts of Omri. 
He could have put on his tombstone, he won a battle, he built a city, he sinned, he died. That's, as if that's all the right that is said. What he's basically saying is, is that no matter how successful Omri may have been in his reign, he was still a failure in God's eyes. He had taken Israel to new depths, and he was successful in the legacy that he left behind because that legacy that he lived just carried on in Ahab, his son. When you think things couldn't get any worse, Omri was very clever. He was clever in the fact that the, um, the Phoenicians that were fighting against them, I'll solve that battle. I'll just marry my son to the Phoenician princess by the name of Jezebel. And we know the duo, uh, the dynamic duo of Ahab and Jezebel and the destruction and disruption and mayhem that they caused in Israel. Omri was a successful king but he was still a king of failure. Can I say this to you? Don't go the way of Omri. The Assyrians had Omri's name in their books because Israel was known as the land of Omri. But Omri's name was not in the Lamb's book of life. It doesn't matter what the history books say about you. It doesn't matter what register you're on in this, in this world, whether it's a school register, whether it's a fire register in work, whatever it is, whether your name is, is recorded um, on the marriage registers, on the birth registers, or even on the death certificate in the council hall. The only thing that matters is that your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. That, that, that's the only book that matters. Because if it's not, then there is no hope. If you think this world is hopeless, the world to come is even worse for those who know not Christ as their saviour. Omri was successful in the world's eyes, but he will still hear those words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I don't know who you are. Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary so that our sins could be forgiven. Everybody sinned. There is not a perfect person in this room because we've all sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Whether we've told one lie, if we've broken the ninth commandment and told one lie, we've sinned. Men, every time your wife has said, do I look good in this? You've sinned. Every time your wife has said to you, does this make me look big? You've sinned. I haven't. I always tell the truth. Joe, you look a mess. <laughs> We've told one lie. We've broken God's command. And that's all it takes. James says if we broke even a small part of God's law, we may as well have broken every single statute. Because just one sin is enough to keep us out of heaven. And everybody has sinned. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The payment for that sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. There's no hope. We can't pay for that sin on our own, so the payment is death. 
The payment is a separation from God for all eternity. But, the scripture goes on to say, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death is the bad news, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord is the good news. We can know Christ as our Savior. We just admit that we've sinned. The Bible says if we uh, confess with our mouth, confess our sins, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead on the cross of Calvary, then we'd be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the heart man believeth and do righteousness. We admit that we've sinned. We believe that Christ died upon the cross for us. We confess our sins and just ask the Lord to save us. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This life is short. This life is over in the blink of an eye. You know, we're not guaranteed our next breath, let alone tomorrow. We could leave this world right now, at this moment. My question to you is this. If you were to die right now, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Do you know Christ as your Savior? You can be the most successful person in this world. You can have the most money in the bank than any of us here in this church. You can have the highest paid position of anybody in this church. You can drive the fanciest car. And in the world's eyes, that would be a success. But if you died without Christ, that would be a failure. The greatest success that you can have in life is knowing him. is calling upon his name. And knowing that no matter what this life throws at us, no matter what happens in this life, there is a better promise of something after we leave this earth. And thankful for the fact that Christ died on the cross for us and that I know him as my saviour. Do you know him as your saviour? Don't go the way of Omri. Omri left a legacy behind that just caused destruction, mayhem, and chaos in the form of his son and daughter-in-law Ahab and Jezebel. Can I say this? That if you live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the perfect legacy to leave behind. Some will follow, some won't. But the Lord will always honor those that honor him. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together this morning. We just pray that you'd continue to speak to our hearts. Father, if there's one here today that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, then I pray that today would be the day that they would call upon your most wonderful name. Father, I'm thankful for the peace that that brings into our hearts, even when the world is in chaos, even when our health falters and fails, the peace uh, that the Lord grants us, even in the midst of losing a loved one, you are still able to grant us a peace that passes understanding when we know you as our Savior. So, Father, would you help us today? 
we recognize the fact that there's nothing wrong with having things in this world, but that's not to be our focus and our goal and our aim. Our focus is to be the Lord Jesus Christ. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we do that first, then all these things will be added unto you. So help us, Lord, to put you first in our lives. That is the success that we desire. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last together.
very sad that we're closing in a word of prayer. Thanks. I thank you for this place, I thank you for 